When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. Like super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work. I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word. Victory. Victory in spite of all terror. The foundations are shaking as corruption plays out publicly, both in Canadian and American high towers. Politicians are playing shadow games while the rule of law and good governance languish. Welcome back to The Other Club with Dr. Michael Thiessen and Timothy Tyso. We are talking today about political corruption. Woo! It's a fun one. Grab a drink and pull up. (laughs) (laughs) We've got a lot of research here, Tim. Were you having a good week? You know, join us and we'll fix that for you. (laughs) This show is produced by Liberty Coalition Canada in partnership with ChristianWeek.org. Liberty Coalition Canada exists to establish Christ's justice and righteousness and to defend those who stand. Christian Week exists to provide a practical, balanced, and hope-filled perspective on national and global issues. We are bringing the hope today uh, thanks for joining us, Mike. It's good to be with you and listeners. Uh, we're glad you're with us on the show today. Yeah, I feel very pent up right now, Tim. It's been, uh, I think, two weeks since we recorded last. Yeah. I hope our listeners have all not fled and departed from us. But <laughs> as the summer winds down, we're gonna we're gonna get back into a rhythm. Before we get started with uh, all of the information we want to bring you today, let me share with you about two upcoming events. So first of all, we have Liberty Podcasts Live. This is a combination of two smaller events, one on Monday, October 23rd at Trinity Bible Chapel in Waterloo. We're going to be filming a Liberty Dispatch Live, a special one with all four of us there. And then on Tuesday, October 24th at Trinity Baptist Church, Uh, In Burlington, we're going to be shooting a Liberty Lounge live. And so if you would follow the links below uh, in uh, in our feed here or attached to the the show description, uh, that's a great way for you to sign up. Both events are going to happen at 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. And both are going to include a recording of our Liberty Coalition podcast. So I can't even tell you that's so exciting. Like, I I just want to put my two cents in there that I'm going to I think I'm going to buy my own ticket. Um, I'll be on stage with you, Mike. But this is going to be amazing to be to do a live show with you guys um, for the first time with a live audience. That's a huge moment for Liberty Coalition and Christian Week. So I'm pumped about it. I hope all our listeners are getting tickets. Fly out 
do a tailgate, you know, before the show, it's going to be a great time. So yeah, get your tickets and come on out to that. I, I love that idea. Tailgate parties in the church yeah. parking lot yeah. before we go in and celebrate the Lordship of Christ. Okay. So it's mm-hmm. $25 a ticket. And the purpose for the charge is just so that we cover everyone's travel costs. The real purpose of the event is we're going to be fundraising around our legal cases and we want you to yeah. come and be prepared to be generous. And, and we're so thankful for your support. Uh, we're, we're bringing everybody together to celebrate and also to raise some funds for our good hard work in our legal department. So the second event, I know that you, we just talked about two events there, but that's just all under that one umbrella. Our second event is happening in South Carolina. This is called the Spark Leadership Conference. This is October 31st to November 1st. We're going to platform Canadian stories, pastors who are connected with Liberty Coalition Canada, to illustrate the current evangelistic, legal, and cultural challenges facing the church in North America. Uh, Tim, you know that uh, as we uh, work with the American church, uh, many people are wondering what's going on in Canada, and we're trying to teach them lessons of walking according to God's word in the context of secular authoritarianism so that the Americans learn the lesson from Canadians. So Canadians, feel free to come down and join us for that. And Americans, would you please sign up and take interest in your brothers to the north? So it's $50 a ticket. Uh, go to sparks. Go to sparkconferences.org. And we, you can sign up for that. So, Tim, we've got a lot to get through today. And I wanted to have this conversation with you because many people are getting exhausted. We're getting to the end of summer. We're starting to see, um, uh, we're starting to see election cycles begin. And I think people are exhausted, but I'm not sure people understand how deep the shadow games are currently going. And I got thinking about this topic when we watched Justin Trudeau dump his wife and then dump certain cabinet members all within the same month. And people are going to say, hey, like you guys, you got to be careful with Trudeau and his family. We are going to be careful, but people also just can't miss how that little signal about being careful allows him to manipulate the moment. And so why did he dump his wife and cabinet members in the same month? And that's, this of course continued as I was pondering this with the unprecedented charges that are being brought against Donald Trump, the former president of the United States. While at the same time in the same summer, the sitting president is being investigated for bribery, influence peddling and money laundering. So again, why bring all of these charges against Trump right now? Why are they doing these things? Why now? And so we get to sit back and hypothesize, Tim. I hope it's at least an educated guess. It's got to be at least somewhere in the neighborhood of truth. So we're <laughs> going we're gonna to try that. We're going to get down the street um, of truth. But yeah, I, I think the shadow games, which we just mentioned in the intro, and of course right there, gives gives the idea. I think what we're suggesting is, <clears throat> that there's sort of a there's a there's a front going on there's a narrative front it's kind of a smoke and mirrors it's sort of a distraction tool but not necessarily distraction because it's related to the corruption that's actually going on um, but it allows public figures like Trudeau and the Democratic uh, 
uh, regime in the American context to kind of change the temperature on what's going on, to change public perception. It also allows them to use these corruptions to their advantage or to play out things that they might be able to use and leverage against sort of an ignorant public who are not necessarily equipped to process these things intellectually, let alone to act on them. And they can actually manipulate people and use them to their advantage rather than being on their back foot on their defense. Um, and it also just answers the question, just in terms of why we're talking about this, that people are looking and going, are things really as bad as I feel like they are? I mean, usually in, in summer, politics are quiet. We have had anything but a, a politically quiet summer here in 2023. So I think we just want to shed some light on that and say, yeah, things are bad. We're saying right in the intro, Mike, that the foundations are, I think, shaking. I think there is really sort of a, a national and global shaking that is going on um, ever since the COVID era began. And people can't really catch their breath. Um, just things are coming at us so fast. And I think we just need to pause and parse a little bit of it so that we can respond so that we're not paralyzed with the, you know, the, the news feed and the doomsday scrolling and all that. We're not paralyzed, but we're actually always kind of marching forward, especially as Christians and conservatives. So I'm, I'm glad to, to have this conversation in that context, Mike. Okay. So um, why are they doing it? Why are they doing it now? Here is my first point that I want to talk about, and it goes back to this taking the breath idea, Tim. As people take their breath, I don't know if you've felt this, but I feel like as they take their breath and people go, are things as bad as they really perceive them? Most people answer that question with, no, things aren't as bad. People could not possibly be that calculated. And I just want you to, I just want you to see how calculated even the um, separation of a man from his wife is at this time. So the first reason why Justin Trudeau chose this time frame in order to separate from his wife, um, and we're going to get to the cabinet minister as well, is because this allows him to start talking about the election without talking about the election. And for those of you who are listening, you might be going, man, Mike, how, how could you possibly get to that so quick? And I'll start by saying, well, why haven't they been separated for the last five years? You know, there, there's been really a very tight-lit community around them, but both of the Trudeaus have indicated um, some stress in the marriage all the way back from 2015. So why now? Well, the first point to answer that question is that it allows him to start talking about the election. Uh, this coming from routers.com uh, dated August 3rd, Justin Trudeau's surprise announcement that he and his wife were separating just a week after uh, a broad cabinet shuffle underscores the Canadian prime minister's focus and intent to lead his liberal party into a fourth election. Despite sagging opinion polls, pollsters, and insiders said. So the, the article goes on to say, it is one of Trudeau's biggest personal crises, although insiders and commentators said he wants to ride out the aftershocks. So, uh, Tim, I don't know about you, but I if I'm going through a, a legitimate separation. And when I say legitimate, I mean a relationship that I am truly mourning. I am utterly devastated by 
I, I can't imagine that my family has fallen apart. I'm not posturing that moment as the moment where it's a tough time, everybody, but I want to ride this out in front of you. Trudeau said the couple took the decision after many difficult conversations. His office said the two would focus on raising their children. Trudeau 51 has always stressed the importance of family and he and his wife were seen on campaign trails with his children by his side after three successive wins starting in 2015. The CTV goes on to report in a rare and personal revelation, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Sophie Gregory Trudeau revealed this week that the two have separated. It has also generated expressions of sympathy from across the political spectrum, including NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, who told reporters on Thursday that he's reached out to his supply and confidence dealer partner in the wake of the news. So Trudeau gets to signify, okay, now's the right time, Sophie. Let's tell the world our our, our marriage has been in demise. It's it now's the right time to tell everybody. Why? Because I get to tell everybody how determined I am to run in the next election. And Jagmeet gets to come out and make sure that he uh, tells both the NDP voters and the liberal voters, the supply and confidence partnership is strong. Okay. So that is our first section. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, there's there's such a quick channel change there. I mean, you, you can't imagine in a multimedia uh, culture that we're in that this wasn't calculated when you say he they they announced their separation then a week later a major cabinet shuffle um, that's changing the channel which which cynically we'd have to look at this and say so much of the political uh, system basically depends on uh, perception management that everything comes down to what are people talking about and what can we get them to talk about uh, right and and so we would have we would be remiss if we didn't recognize okay at this time at this late stage in his prime ministerial career he has racked up more political failings um than than we could detail on this show without it being a marathon episode um he he did say to politico um with respect to his cabinet shuffle he said quote we know the times are challenging but this is the team oh here we go. This is the team that is going to be able to continue the hard work, rolling up their sleeves and delivering for Canadians, he told reporters. Um, and so he he's, <clears throat> I got my sleeves rolled up here, right? And, and you'll see Justin Trudeau actually on the campaign trail, often with his sleeves literally rolled up. This is calculated imaging and this is calculated euphemism to basically say, we're on your side. If you're a blue collar or a middle-class Canadian, if, if you're struggling, your, your team in Ottawa is working for you. It's to give the perception that we're not elitists. We're not the governing elite, but we are rather actually, you know, we're working hard for you. Um, and so these euphemisms have carried Justin Trudeau through, I would say, staggering political turmoil. In fact, you look at 2015, remember, I don't know if our listeners remember, maybe you do, Mike, the, uh, his campaign slogan, Sunny Ways. Remember Sunny Ways in 2015? It was, look, we're going to get past the drudgery of Stephen Harper's conservatives and we're going to go sunny ways from here. We're going to have a happy Canada. Um, and 
going out from there, Trudeau, every time he's faced an election, has been staring down the barrel of, of some personal failure or political um, uh, embarrassment. Uh, we, we've had his blackface scandals where his all these photos of him mocking Indian and black culture have surfaced. Um, that didn't bring down the government. Uh, we, there was revelation that he was dis- dismissed from the school that he taught under cloudy circumstances, maybe moral failure there. We don't know anything about that. Um, we have ethics commission violations, vacations that he's taken that are, are, are seen to violate arm's length relationships with party donors or, or lobbyists. We had the We Charity scandal in which we found out that the We Charity, who was getting millions of dollars in contracts from the federal government, happens to have Justin Trudeau's mother on the board. Um, we, we just The list goes on and on in terms of ethics scandals and personal scandals. We had the SNC-Lavalin corruption scandal, which to me, this was the biggest story. And I think, honestly, it still is. I would say aside from the COVID response from the federal government, this is still the biggest scandal and story in federal political um, at, at that level that we've seen in decades. I remember the the sponsorship scandal with with Paul Martin pales in comparison to what went on with SNC Lavalin and Jody Wilson-Raybould in which she refused to drop a prosecution case against SNC Lavalin. Um, and we had uh, Justin Trudeau's chief secretary, Gerald Butts, meeting with her privately and pressuring her from the prime minister's office to drop this case because of the protection of corporate interests uh, on the federal level. Um, this is huge interference politically with the with what is supposed to be an independent judicial system, which, by the way, is a marker of Western liberty, that judges and prosecutors will be free from political pressure. Uh, this, somehow this didn't take down the federal government. <laughs> I, I don't remember what was thrown around to distract at that point. We need to go on to recognize the country is deeper in debt than at any time in history, and not just deeper in debt. But I looked it up, and 10 years ago today, Mike, our country was 500 $90 billion in debt, which that's a staggering amount. I don't like that number. But today it's $1.1 trillion. So, so the, the liberals have almost doubled our, our federal debt uh, in 10 years. Now, I know 2013, we didn't have, didn't have data for 2015. Yes, two years of this was Stephen Harper. But you've got to look at the staggering share of our federal debt that the federal liberals have added we, and, and as a result of that money printing, we've got inflation and housing costs that have pushed Canadians to the brink of exasperation. Go on TikTok or Twitter if you have it and find some of these stories of people sitting in their cars going, I make $30 an hour and I can no longer make my interest payments on my variable rate mortgage. You know, I, I can no longer afford groceries for my family. These are people in the middle class who are being crushed under the cost of living that has skyrocketed under the liberal um, uh, supervision under liberal policies. And yet he, without shame, is going to say this is the government who's going to roll up their sleeves and, quote, continue to deliver for Canadians. And I have to ask, deliver what? What have you given us? Is there one thing in this country that is stronger, more stable, uh, more livable than it was before the liberals took government. This, this has been a, a disastrous eight years for Canadians. And what we should be demanding as he shuffles this cabinet, what we should be demanding is an explanation. Why are these people being moved out of cabinet and why are new ones being brought in? Were they delivering the liberal agenda? Were they succeeding? 
or is it, or is it just a shadow game? Yeah, Mike. So I, I think that I think our conversation today is a bit of our attempt to answer that why, like were they delivering or were they not delivering and going to your point there, Tim, the reason why they're doing this now is because it, it moves us away from this focus on Justin Trudeau's personal and political failures. You've just gone through a list of those political failures and uh, this whole story about his wife merged with the cabinet, like like merged at the same time, it allows him to get past of both of these things early enough in the election cycle to forget about all these things. So, so first of all, like go, returning to the marriage story, you know, uh, we have both CTV and political re reporting on this very important point. So first from CTV news, uh, one key change that is going forward is that uh, Sophie Trudeau will no longer be considered the spouse of the prime minister in any official capacity on the world stage, nor will she attend events as the spouse of the prime minister. This means that while she never had, per Canadian custom, a title such as first lady, she will no longer attend events with Trudeau won't partake in any official visits with the prime minister, nor should it be expected that she's seen on the campaign, the campaign trail come the next election. Then Politico goes on to report her break from Justin Trudeau also included a split with the single part-time employee of the prime minister's office who supported her public schedule as Canada's unofficial first lady. So, Think about it. If we were to hit next year's election cycle, Tim, and none of this had been spoken about and Trudeau's wife is nowhere to be found or we get to a Remembrance Day service and Trudeau is not walking there holding hands with his spouse. We all know that for a public figure, the appearance of a strong marriage is like, like you said earlier, it's about perception. It's not about reality. The appearance of a strong marriage is beneficial to them for the election cycle. Well, right now, here you already have, you've just been told as a Canadian, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember something about that. She's not going to be around. And I was told about that. So this is early enough in the, in, in the election cycle. I don't know who, I, I, I don't know if Trudeau, you know, marries his office and, and says, look, I'm just married to the idea of prime minister. I, I'm not sure if he moves on to another woman or, or if he moves on to a man or, you know, he's at so many pride parades. We don't know what's going to happen, but what we do know is the average voter will go in their mind. Oh yeah, that's right. You know what? They're co-parenting. It's no big deal. They're the average divorced couple. I am no longer shocked by the fact that the leader of the nation cannot manage his home. Think about that in the context of being, um, uh, in the context of any other litmus test, right? Like the, the, to be an elder in a church, you have to be a man who can manage his own home. Well, um, all of these types of little hints towards what a healthy marriage looks like. And that, that means that somebody who has a healthy marriage is able to manage themselves. All, all of the opposite is true. People, you know, kind of 
oh man, he's a single guy. I, I don't know if I can trust him or, or she, she's an unmarried woman. She, there's a lot of life she hasn't lived, but this allows them in that cycle just to say the, the average voter go, oh, that's not a big deal anymore. That's old news. It, it's the right, perfect timing early enough to forget about a failed marriage. And we should not forget about that. They, we're going to see, uh, the media, the media is going to normalize the divorce. Uh, they already have, again, they're just moving on. But the problem is Canadians, we're going to participate in that normalization. We've already done this. Uh, uh, a marriage breaking up in the middle of a federal mandate like this would be weeks of news cycle in another generation. It would just shock us to our core to see our, you know, executive chief, you know, I know in Canada, that's not reality, but essentially our, our domestic head of state, uh, breaking up his marriage, it would, it would shock, it would demoralize us. It would, it would uh, deflate us. It would certainly cause us to call for a resignation of some kind or a recognition of fault. So that's on us too. We've normalized it and we don't see this in any way as disqualifying for leadership. I, I ask folks in your churches, do they see this as a disqualification for leadership? And I guarantee the answer would be about the same as the culture, which is, well, he can still lead a country, can he? Uh, and that's because we've compartmentalized morality away from duties and vision. Um, and you brought up the church that the Bible says that these are not separate issues. Uh, if you can't manage your, your, the responsibilities in your home, your children and your wife and your duties there, how are you ever going to do that on a multiplied base on a multiplied platform? And here we're going to have Trudeau go back into an election cycle where he's going to promise to steer a country of 40 million people into financial prosperity, into cultural unity and peace. Um, but he can't maintain the peace and the bond of peace in his own family. His own wife doesn't believe in a future with him. And this is why should we, <laughs> and this is the whole point of this show, Tim, for people to understand, look how very carefully you are being managed. You are not looking at reality. You have to look through a screen of carefully calculated political moves and news releases in order to go, oh, that's right. I'm supposed to remember that someone who manages a country well should have the capacity to manage his home well. You know, this allows the whole news cycle to appear neutral again. You know, we're just reporting facts, reporting facts on the marriage, reporting facts on the polls, reporting facts on Canadians' perception of divorce or, you know, all that type of stuff. It allows the media to reboot a little bit and feel appear a little bit more neutral while the entire time you've got these carefully placed statements You've got these carefully timed moments for the real hand to be shown. And the real hand to be shown is I'm running for the election and I want you to forget that I was married when the time comes. Yeah, Mike, the timing of this really allows him to talk about, you know, fresh eyes and fresh workers. We're going back to that euphemism of workers. We're hard at work. We're delivering for Canadians. Uh, Reuters um, reporting on it said, quote, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau shuffled much of his cabinet on Wednesday with the aim of increasing focus on economic issues like housing shortage and the rising cost of living that have hurt his standing with voters. So there's an American um, uh, outlet 
acknowledging that these failures are detrimental even to his own base. Um, voters find the liberals very unpopular um, and it, it's, it, it's, and they, and they're addressing it. And so even in these shuffles, instead of saying, sorry, we made mistakes, there, there's a smoke show happening where we're just going to shuffle people out and shuffle people in um, and just say, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep trying. We're going to tweak a little bit, but, but there's never acknowledgement of the actual policy failures that have taken place. Uh, th this likely will be the last shakeup before the election, which is not due until the second half of 2025. But as we know, it could come earlier. This is a minority government. Um, Justin Trudeau, who has been in power since 2015, um, has brought several new people into the cabinet, but he's kept some of the heavy hitters like Finance Minister Christian Freeland and Innovation Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne and, of course, Foreign Minister uh, Melanie, Melanie Jolly in their portfolios. Uh, Frank Graves, who is president of the polling company Echo, said, this is not tinkering. This is a major reset. The shuffle does send a clear message that the government is aware that their standing currently with the electorate is not healthy. So they are hoping to change the channel and keep voters just at the tips of their fingers going into the next election, Mike. Yeah, so I, I, again, the goal behind this is to just talk about fresh, fresh everything, you know, um, to just talk. Yeah. Tim, who was your favorite COVID liberal minister tyrant? My favorite. That's just so hard to choose. Um, there are so many. But you, you have you have the minister of labor and 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 like vaccine policies yeah you you have um the minister of labor and lockdowns and opening up and uh the churches fell under the minister of labor for for um you know the all of the opening and shutting rules and and the provinces took lead of that so this is just a great way to say like, and you have to notice in that article, you know, the heavy hitters like Christia Freeland is still there. Like the, your major economic, your major mm -hmm. influencers are still right where they are. But again, it's early enough to say, well, look, we changed stuff up. We changed it up. And Canadians cannot, cannot look aside. The, the issue is, is that Trudeau has glaring failures morally, ethically, politically even at his family level. And he has now asked for a reboot of his cabinet. And he has asked for the public to just say, Hey, we, that was last year that this, you're going to literally hear that in the debates. That was last year. We've moved on. We're working harder than ever. And that was, that was my old life. I'm focused on my job right now. We've moved on. If I can point out one thing that I think our listeners might have forgotten too, and, and that is that Bill Morneau, who I found despicably slimy as a finance minister, even he had the dignity to resign when he could not support the government's approach to spending and money printing at the, in the later stages of the, uh, of the COVID bailout. This, so the, the, even some of these people have limits and it again just shows the degree to which Justin Trudeau 
essentially had his own agenda, regardless of what the experts around him advised. And Bill Morneau is not, he's no financial conservative, but even he had the dignity to step away and say, I can't sign off on this. And it just shows that the, the, the PMO, the prime minister's office is directing these federal cabinet ministers anyway. So in the long run, what you've got is a prime minister's office that is just kind of puppeteering his cabinet ministers say, this is what we want in foreign affairs and, uh, you know, gender equality and all the other portfolios. This is what we want. Do it or you're going to be gone. Um, so the, the corruption is very deep in this in this federal government. And the reality also, Tim, added to that is you're hearing people say out loud what we said for years, and that is that all of this spending is going to cause inflation. When you flood the market with dollars, dollars that are that are not normally there, it increases the cash in everybody's wallet. The cash in everybody's wallet leads to spending. Spending leads to inflation. So we're seeing that being said out loud now while he just gets to dismiss all of the people who did that for him and or dismiss a number of people in order to take the heat away from key players like Christia Freeland, who are still around. Okay, so now we go to the U.S. and everybody might say, why are we talking about the U.S.? Well, you know what? We're talking about the U.S. for two different reasons. Number one, I'm living down here for a time and um, all of the same things are happening south of the border and Canadians would do well to understand the south. And also the flip side of that is one of the reasons why we're down here is so that Americans would do well to understand Canada. And so um, we are on the other club going to be covering some broader topics, both in the North American context rather than just in, in one style. So, so here we have in the U.S., we have some major failures from uh, President Joe Biden. Um, and a lot of these things are coming out and being revealed by the Committee of Oversight and Accountability. You can actually go to the oversight.house.gov uh, backslash the Biden's influence peddling timeline. And you can see on a government website, on a government website by a committee who's responsible for giving oversight and accountability to politicians, you can see all of the breakdown of the things that Joe Biden did as a vice president all of the way up into things that he's being investigated now uh, as a president. And so we see, uh, for example, just give you a few highlights of the timeline. So in Romania on September 28th, 2015, um, Vice President Biden welcomed Romanian President Klaus uh, um, Johannes to the White House. And within five weeks of this meeting, a Romanian businessman involved with a high-profile corruption prosecution in Romania, Gabriel Povivicu, uh, began depositing a Biden's in, into a to Biden's associate bank account, which ultimately made their way into Biden family accounts. There were uh, 16 of 17 payments over uh, totaling over $3 million uh, to the Biden associate account while Joe Biden was the vice president. We see from China on March 1st, 2017, less than two months after Vice President Joe Biden left office, um, State Energy HK Limited, a Chinese company, company wired $3 million to Biden's associates account. This is the same account used in the above uh, Romania section that we were just talking about. 
Um, after the Chinese company wired the Biden associate account, the three million, the Biden family received approximately one million sixty-five thousand six hundred and ninety-two dollars over a three-month period into different bank accounts. We can look at another example of Kazakhstan that on April twenty-second uh, of two thousand and fourteen. Um, a Kazakhstani oligarch used his uh, Singaporean entity, uh, Novadis Holdings, to wire one of Hunter Biden's Rosemont Seneca entities $142,300. And the next day, um, that Rosemont Seneca entity transferred the exact amount of money to a car dealership for a car for Hunter Biden. One of my favorite ones, Tim, and by the way, uh, everybody, just so you know, Tim scolded me at the very beginning of this show. We're only 36 minutes into the show and we dealt with the Trudos. Tim scolded me. He's like, you cannot just read all of that information you guys have researched that's on uh, this website. You just can't read all of that. It's too much. And that's very true. This is a small little summary of the corruption and failings. But I want to make sure that I mention my favorite one because I have been on this. I have been on this story personally since 2015, watching this and listening to this. And this is the Ukraine story. So again, Tim, do you remember Ukraine, that country, that country that nobody talks about anymore or that nobody sends scads and scads of taxpayer money to? Well, listen to how corruptly uh, the Biden family is connected to Ukraine. So in Ukraine, Devin Archer joined the Burisma, Burisma Board of Directors in spring of 2014 and was joined by Hunter Biden shortly thereafter. Hunter Biden joined the company as counsel, but after a meeting with Burisma owner Mikolaya Volokovetsky on in Lake Como, Italy, was, about, was elevated to the board of directors. Both Biden and Archer were paid $1 million per year for their positions on the board of directors. And this is where we started following the story. In December of 2015, after a Burisma board of directors meeting, uh, Zakulinski and Hunter Biden called DC in the wake of the mounting pressures the company was facing because uh, this Ukrainian oligarch was later charged for bribing Ukrainian officials with $6 million in an attempt to, to delay or to drop the investigation into his company. On December 7th, 2015, Vice President Biden arrived in Ukraine where he has publicly admitted, you can go and listen, this is the famous son of a bee tape um, where he demands that the prosecutor general Shokin is fired. If Ukraine wants 1 billion in international monetary fund loans from the United States, that is the, the biggest, most important story to me where you have the vice president of the United States holding $1 billion of monetary fund loans hostage if the prosecutor who is uh, investigating 
the company to which his son is just brought in as a board member paid outrageous amounts of money to be a board member if the prosecutor does not draw if that prosecutor is not fired though the dots are so easy to connect uh hunter biden is hired so that the oligarch has access to the influence of joe biden joe biden then acts in uh in, in response to that in response to that business relationship by uh holding a billion dollars um uh hostage so if i can if i can summarize it this way he's he's using his official capacity in the most powerful office in the world to direct billions of dollars to various countries um in the world he's using that power in order to twist the arm of the of global leaders who have the power to drop charges against that will negatively influence him and his son negatively affect them this this shadows very closely actually the snc lavalin scandal it, where we've got pressure to drop federal to, to, to drop investigations that are going to reveal corruption and but biden's doing it with a billion dollars in international aid to ukraine and then and then, so in, the, in fast forward 10 years, they've got billions and billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars flowing into Ukraine for a war against uh, Russia. And all of those, as far as we know, all of those business relationships and, and ties are still in place. There's no evidence that any of that, um, any of those conflicts of interest have been dissolved in any fashion. It's and money Tim, laundering, international you, money you laundering. look at it now, and if you were to go look at this, and if you're listening closely to this story, what you're going to realize is that the son was put on the board for the sake of the father's influence. It was not even the father uh, – it was not even the father interjecting and getting involved because he needed to defend his son. No, no, no. The son was getting paid so that the influence of the father would be there to uh, interfere. So – if you just go and look at that website from the Committee of Oversight um, and Accountability, you will realize that right now uh, President Joe Biden is in a lot of trouble. So, Tim, who do you think Biden's scapegoat is? So, so for Justin, the scapegoat or or the or the the story shift was the divides of the marriage right now like right here and the scapegoats were the cabinet ministers cabinet ministers gone you walked us through incredible hardship and change you took the heat of all of the media now you're gone so wife and cabinet ministers for trudeau are the scapegoats who do you think might be the scapegoat for president joe biden right now if you've seen the movie heat with al pacino and robert de niro um, it's one of the greatest hollywood sort of depictions of cat and mouse okay you've got the the detective al pacino who is um who is racing and frantically trying to catch robert de niro in in a heist and his crew and both are so devoted to their trade and to their duty that they they essentially are are both destroyed in the end in different ways and it's a brilliant depiction and i think what what's coming to mind here we've got kind of biden and trump from the 2020 election. I think this really crystallized um, this 
it, this has become sort of a meme. This has become a legend and myth in, in the American psyche, this, tr this Trump and Biden uh, clash. And so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set this up with my own spin, Mike, because yes, Donald Trump is the scapegoat. He is the, um, he is the sacrificial lamb for the Democratic Party. Uh, I will I will nuance it in saying that Joe Biden doesn't know uh, his left hand from his right hand. I, I don't think J Joe Biden has a clue what's actually going on with investigations with his son. Um, he falls asleep in critical meetings. I, I, I just Biden is is literally a puppet. He is literally a federal puppet. There are others moving the strings. However, Donald Trump is under a, a ridiculous and focused. Um, political persecution right now. Um, and it, it's, it's actually, it's, it's engaging his base to, to a very significant level. His base is getting engaged in a way politically. So there's, there's complicated things going on, but we can't miss, I, I don't, I don't know what the total number of indictments tr Donald Trump has now. It's well in four, there's four separate indictments, but the charges are almost in the hundreds, I believe. Uh, so he is four indictments with yeah. multiple felonies, uh, underneath yes. each indictment. Right. And so th there is a, there's a distinct attack on Donald Trump. And I would say this doesn't compare with the cabinet shuffle one to one, because what's going on in Canada is, you know, those cabinet ministers are all going to ride off into the sunset with pensions that last forever. Donald Trump is could go to prison for the rest of his natural life. Um, and, and this is actually going to affect his ability to, to run for office, which he's attempting to do. And at the same time, you've got a political rising where his own base trusts what he says at a higher rate than they trust their own friends and family. The CBS news poll showed that 71% of Republicans trust or his base uh, who intend to vote for him, trust him at 71% over their friends and family who would put 63% them as the highest um, conservative media figures. They trust at a rate of about 56% and religious leaders, 42%. So interesting that that was thrown in there. Um, but also you have Donald Trump leading in the polls from a primary perspective against Ron DeSantis, uh, DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy and uh, Nikki Haley and all of those others. He has a burgeoning support among his base in the political process all the while these these um, judicial persecutions are taking place. And this all stemmed out of, it started with the, the January 6th so-called insurrection case. Um, I wish we had time to go into this really into detail, but just in terms of the indictment, um, we have uh, this insurrection uh, indictment, which began in December 2022, which refers to Trump along with his lawyer, John Eastman, um, who reported to the Justice Department for uh, prosecution, a Washington grand jury met for months and heard testimony from many former Trump aides and officials in the Trump White House, including former Vice President Mike Pence. And on August 1st, 2023, the grand jury approved an indictment against Trump, charging him with an extraordinary conspiracy that threatened so-called to disenfranchise millions of Americans. And the, the idea here is that he denied the election results. 
uh, which which is linked closely to the Georgia election case in Fulton County, in which District Attorney Fannie Willis opened a criminal investigation in February of 2021. She summoned, again, many of Trump's top aides before a so-called special grand jury, which had the power to investigate the crimes, but not to approve the actual criminal charges. And in the summer of 2023, this month, uh, Willis presented her evidence to a regular grand jury, which approved a 98-page indictment. And on August 14th, Donald Trump uh, was indicted in Georgia. He has indicated this week and confirmed that he will surrender uh, a Thursday of this week, the airing of this episode, uh, in the state of Georgia. Which, by the way, we're talking about we're talking about political corruption, especially in the judicial realm. In this story. Uh, this is the very state in which Stacey Abrams ran and lost twice in her bid for a Senate seat. And not only her, but multiple high-profile Democrats outright claimed that the election was stolen by Republicans. Quote, Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio claimed that if Abrams didn't win the election, then Republicans, quote, stole it. Failed presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. She's high-profile, isn't she? Like, she's sort of a, she's a figure people know. She said that if Abraham, if Abrams had a fair election, she would have already won. Uh, while ballots were still being counted, Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey claimed, quote, the election is being stolen from her using what I think are insidious measures to disenfranchise certain groups of people. So this is this this is regarding a failed candidate in Georgia which a county in Georgia has now indicted Donald Trump for for grand conspiracy in terms of denying the election and undermining Americans' confidence in electoral systems. Again, he faces jail time for this. What we're seeing is the weaponization of the judicial system. It's nowhere near independent. Why didn't Stacey Abrams get charged for denying the election? Why didn't Hillary Clinton get charged for denying that election? Cory Booker, any of these people. Uh, it's to lock away political opponents. And this is why Trump is surging in the polls right now, because it, people are rightly recognizing the corruption that is being used against him. Uh, so th it, it, there's a shocking depth here to the corruption that is uh, in play and, and why people need to stay engaged in the system and stay engaged in the process here. I like how you emphasize that there's there we're not in, we're not talking about an equal an equal consequences for the scapegoats um right. I, I don't know if i would have ventured out to use the whole messianic language for donald trump again the sacrificial lamb so i'm gonna take a step away from that tim and i'm just gonna i am just going to go with this continue with this 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 the scapegoat language and uh it but I, I like how you, I like how you intensified that because it's an important point to make. I think I think again, people who are God fearing, lie law abiding people would never imagine. Well, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, they could lose their cabinet job. Uh, they're still MPs, and they still are going to have a great pension. It's no big deal. No, people really wouldn't go out and try to put somebody in jail just to change the news cycle or or just to. Um, just to damage your political opponent. No, look at we're going to go on. We have two more cases. We have the classified. We have the classified. We have the classified documents case, 
Early in 2022, the Department of Justice opened an investigation into Trump's retention of classified documents after his presidency. In June 2022, the Trump lawyer avowed that Trump had turned over all the classified records, but two months later, FBI searched Mar-a-Lago and seized 102 documents with classified markings. So you have to realize every president of the United States withholds classified documents, and every president of the United States can declassify documents whenever they decide to declassify them. And so this has been an ongoing situation, but the unique part of it is that Donald Trump uh, was uh, the was a suspect and was the object of an FBI search of his personal residence. So they have now, on June 9th, 2023, the indictment was unsealed, charging Trump with 37 felonies and his longtime aide, Walt Nata, uh, with six felonies. Now, look it. You got to understand, since that time, we've found scads and scads of classified documents that Joe Biden had from when he was the vice president, not the president. They found them in his car. They found it in his garage. They found it in a cleaned out um, office space. Folks, you have to understand how ridiculous these charges are on their face. And of course, finally, you have the hush money case, March 30th. Um, there was... Um, there is a, a payment made, uh, a payment made to Stormy Daniels, and uh, prosecutors have uh, sought to uh, indict Trump for uh, uh, basically data entry error for 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 basically uh, uh, put allegedly that the expense was legal fees, but but they're claiming that it was not. And so we have that in, in that case, they're going after him for, again, it's the same, it's the same type of charge, but it's 34 felony counts. So Tim, like this is all ramped up. And again, folks, the reason why we're bringing this to your attention is, is partly because if you're exhausted right now with listening about all of the corruption, and you're exhausted just listening to this by all of the smoke and mirror games. We want to do two things. We want to just help you see some of the smoke uh, and mirrors. Like we want to see, we want to help you see through the smoke and mirrors. We want to see, like help you see clearly as the election years ramp up. It's, it's August uh, of, of 2023. And uh, Michael Tyson and Tim Tyso want to clearly say to you, as the next number of elections ramp up, you're going to see calculated shadow games and you've got to be able to see through them so that you are making your vote count and you are not voting simply for corrupt politicians who are better at the shadow games or who might have more of the institutions might have more of the media on their side as a discerning Christian, you have to be able to see this. And then number two, what, what, what are we going to do or what can we do about this? And Tim, I want to just transition into our final thought for the day so that people are left with some things. And I want to transition into just reading some scripture for people. And then you take it up. Uh, you you take it up uh, with with our final points here. So, Proverbs twenty eight fifteen to sixteen says, "Like a roaring lion, 
or a charging bear is a wicked man ruling over helpless people. Think about that image. A roaring lion is terrifying. Not, not a roaring lion when you're sitting at the zoo and they're on the opposite side and you get excited because you just saw a roar, roaring lion. No, like my, my kids and I have visited the Cincinnati Zoo the, a few weeks ago and um, uh, they had some mountain lions. Then, man, like you could – the mountain lions were really close and you saw how big and terrifying those smaller lions were. Or like a charging bear. Like a like a like a like a grizzly bear raging towards you. It, the, the the image that you're supposed to get up as a wicked man runs you away. A wicked man just runs you off. A wicked a wicked man makes you think that you're gonna get mauled, and so you just run away. And that proverb goes on to say, a tyrannical ruler lacks judgment, but he who hates ill-gotten gain will enjoy a long life. And and the point of it is is that even though they're a roaring lion or a charging bear, they are tyrannical and they're not wise. They will bring the demise of a country. They will be, bring the short life to the country. It is only those who hate ill-gotten gain who will enjoy a long life, which leads us to Proverbs 29.2. When the righteous thrive, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. We are groaning right now under the wickedness that is um, ruling over us. What does this mean? What do we do about it? Yeah, that's the question. And I think the, the, first, the first step in this is always to have your eyes open. And I do, I do want to just kick it up a notch from seeing shadow games for shadow games because there are real world consequences to these realities. Um, I, 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 it, I wish it only were shadow games. There, there is corruption that seeks to undermine what has made Canada and the United States the amazing countries that they have been for hundreds of years. Um, we have the demise of the very heart and social compact of these two countries. We have a, we have a divided worldview we have we talked about that last episode mike we, we have divergent worldviews at play in the political systems and so christians need to recognize that it, it is not just whether or not uh you know tariffs will be on potatoes or aluminum this year we are we are talking about the future we're, we're talking about fiat currency we're talking about the livelihood of citizens we're talking about the social fabric that binds us together um, that is at stake. And so Christians and conservatives have to stop sitting around at home and saying, you know, when will these incompetent leaders be removed? And, you know, one day people will just wake up. People are waiting for the elastic band effect that things are just going to get so bad and so crazy that suddenly everyone's going to turn. I think these last three years, we, we talked about the foundation shaking, Mike, we are being shown what is at the bare heart of the desires of these people, sort of we call them political opponents or cultural adversaries. What is at the heart of this worldview is nihilism and destruction and corruption. There is no desire to do good for the nation. We have to drop that and we have to recognize these people want and go back to the Proverbs. Proverbs say those who hate wisdom love death. If the Bible is true, then these people are not seeking good. They love destruction. They love inflation. 
They love high cost of living. They love the, 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 the delamination of fabric. They love the corruption of the political system because it allows them to do what they want. So conservatives, Christians, you have to stop waiting for the so-called elastic band effect because it's not coming. There will not be some great boomerang that comes back around and, you know, common sense conservatives will take over and write this ship. That's not happening. So I think step one is open your eyes to the realities. If Donald Trump goes to jail because there was a, there was a contra campaign contribution error. And because he had some documents in his bathroom, whereas Joe Biden had them in, beside his Corvette in the garage, um, because he decided to say that the election uh, had had shady goings on, which we all know is true. If they jail him for that, it, it, then they will do the same to you. It, it, what's coming is not brighter. What's coming is is a threat to those who love liberty and, and who will stand for Christ. So Christians need then to say, I must be involved in the process. I must educate myself on the matters that the left is trying to use to, to end um, Christian influence. Climate change is one of those, the green agenda, uh, the, the advance of sodomy and its proponents. We have partisan courts. We have foreign influences and global corruption through bribery, World Health Organization, um, the EU, all of these global entities that are steering Canadians away from self-interest. So there's a lot going on. What can you do? You can do something. Be in the public sphere, get back into it, teach your children to engage with these ideas and to speak and stand for them publicly. Um, we have to publicly call the public back from the brink of secular socialism, because if the people are not confronted, they will just keep electing these scheming corrupt politicians who, who are playing these games out before us. And then we're just dismissing it every time. Well, maybe the, maybe the liberals just need one more mandate. <laughs> like Then they'll get it, right? So we need to organize locally. We need to hold debates. Whether people pay attention or not, that's not the, the issue. R live your life the way that we're designed to. And, 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 and don't leave it to others to do it. Because if you don't organize, somebody else is going to. So organize locally. Hold debates and question and answers and forums. Run candidates. Disciple Christians to go where only corrupt politicians currently are. Let's start pushing our worldview into those spheres where right now all we're seeing is a lot of dirty, rotten, corrupt fruit. So if we want to see that change, we are going to be the change. And that's not apart from the work of the gospel. That is part of the work of the gospel. Jesus said that he is transforming in us in order to teach the nations to obey him. So it's quite literally our job to do this publicly and to teach those around us and to disciple them and to show them the way that bears good fruit in which the people will rejoice. When the righteous flourish, the people rejoice. There is, I would say, very little rejoicing in these spheres right now, Mike, whether political, judicial, legal. There is very little rejoicing. There is a groaning. There is a mourning taking place among those who love liberty. Um, and, and the Bible gives us a path to correct that but not for those who'll sit back and wait for someone else to do it. Uh, so I think initiative is very key here and it's not going to come out perfect the first time, but it takes practice. It takes discipline. It takes learning and growth and trying and failing sometimes. Um, but Mike, you and I have both been on the public stage for a couple of years, you much more so than me. Um, but you've been on the steps of the Supreme court of Canada, preaching the gospel, praying and leading thousands of people in the truth of what, we ought to do in, in the face of corruption in Canada. Um, and we've made missteps along the way. 
right? It hasn't come out perfect or smooth or without being tongue tied sometimes. Um, but we want to encourage more. And hopefully, I mean, you and I are both just kind of regular nobodies who said in 2021, we need to start speaking publicly. So, um, in terms of into this space. So we just want to bring more Canadians with us and Americans too. be part of the process. You're already maybe doing that in a little bit more of a, uh, a natural way. It's, it's sort of more baked into the American culture to be involved and to voice your dissent. Um, but Canadians, you've got to learn from our American brothers and sisters a little bit um, that we're going to have to speak in. We're going to have to do some of the work that we want to see take place um, and not just gripe about it, not just create talking points, but get into that process um, and make it public. So that's kind of where I'd wrap up. Um, Mike, thanks for bringing all that to us this week. If you have a last word, um, chuck it in here or, or just lead us out. I'll just, I'll just recap. So the reason why we chose to do this particular show was so that you could see and go, Oh, okay, man. When all those little things are happening in the news, man, it's, it's likely that this is really why that timing was chosen. Okay. I, I, I can see that I am dealing with brilliant politicians who are in it for themselves, but at the same time, we need people to stop saying, ah, it's not that bad. And people are generally good and, and they'll do it. Like, like you said, Tim, I'm actually really glad you, you ratcheted it up. Like, if Donald Trump would go to jail for some of these things, this would be the first time in history that a U.S. former U.S. president has not. It is already the first time in history that a U.S. president has been indicted. It would be un, completely unprecedented if he went to jail. And it's it's very significant that a cabinet, I mean, like many of a cabinet, were just dismissed after one of the. One of, one of them, as they would claim it, one of the most trying and successful times of their liberal government. Um, so we really are just trying to help you see these things as we look at the news, as, as we are involved politically and we kind of see how the, how the politicians work the news cycles. We're kind of learning that and we want to help you see it. And then just to recap, Tim, yeah, we're asking people um, to either individually become politicians for the church to publicly confront sin and not just remain silent about this and think that everything's going to be okay. And, and to help that you organize a little bit and you, you get involved um, in a way that shines light into this dark areas, shines the light of Christ and the Christian worldview that comes with Christ. So that's just a recap. Uh, folks, if you want to support our podcasting work, head over, head over to libertycoalitioncanada.com backslash donate and click the analysis box. Donations submitted there go directly to Christian Week as they uh, co-produce this show with us. And if you want to help support our legal and advocacy work, head over to libertycoalitioncanada.com backslash donate and click other designations. You can find our shows on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. We're really proud to be partnering with with uh, FLF and you can find us by there by downloading the app. We are so grateful for our listeners keeping with us. Godspeed.